0: pleased to welcome back to the program film historian David Keene, who was featured on 60 Minutes on the October 17th program about a very interesting film, which he did some detective work on. Uh, Welcome back to Radio Parallax, David. Thank you. This film was sent to me several months ago, and I guess it was on the internet for a while, showing uh, a trip down Market Street made circa 1905. And how how did it get onto the internet?
1: The film has been public domain since, since it was first released. The Library of Congress has had it on their website, and uh, Rick Prelinger had his a copy of his print on the Internet Archive, and uh, so it's been free to be uh, downloaded, and uh, people have done just that.
0: So I guess like anything else on YouTube, people thought, hey, this is a great film, and they put it on there, and I guess it kind of started sweeping the nation, because I know a lot of people sent it to me.
1: Yes, it sure has. There's a, there's actually quite a few different posts on YouTube with it. Uh, uh, the the one uh, that seems to be most popular has got uh, uh, music by Air and 1.7 million people and counting.
0: Well, yes, yeah, someone sent to me and said this is fascinating to watch, and so I clicked on it, and boy, boy is it ever! It just shows. Well, I guess I guess tell people what it shows.
1: It uh, shows um, Market Street in San Francisco at a um, time before the earthquake. Uh, It's like a slice of life. The camera was mounted on a cable car uh, traveling from 8th Street to the ferry building. You see uh, life as it was back then with horse carts, people walking around, people on bicycles, automobiles, uh, cable cars. Sightseeing, trolleys, the fabric of life.
0: What What struck me when I saw it was uh, uh, some of these um, uh, horse-drawn carts, uh, dr- drays, I guess, and, and I remember my grandmother describing how back in the old days San Francisco had, you know, that's how people carted goods around uh, in the beginning of the automobile era, and, th- and there, it is, there it is to see there on, on film.
1: That's right, yeah, and uh, of course Market Street was the thoroughfare as it is today in San Francisco, and heavy
0: traffic. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have no doubt that just about anyone listening to this program will have, will have traveled down Market Street, down down the very thoroughfare that's on the film. Well, how did you get involved with um, sleuthing out the details about this film?
1: Well, it actually uh, dates back to uh, 2005. There was a, uh, a group that was uh, led by the Exploratorium that uh, was going to have a uh, 100th anniversary celebration of that film, and, and they actually... Uh, shot a modern version of the same thing and uh, had a celebration at the end of uh, at the Embarcadero in 2005. People talked a lot about the film and uh, and the celebration, but nobody really knew much about it. And I thought that was a rather strange thing for a uh, in a time frame when um, filmmaking was rather new, uh, in that. Uh, you would have think that it would have been big news in San Francisco for a, a film crew to set up so elaborately and uh, and shoot something. And So I thought, gee, there must be some information somewhere that uh, would uh, identify who made it and exactly when it was made.
0: It sounds like when you started, you, you had to do quite a bit of uh, looking into old uh, uh, microfilms and things.
1: That's right. I did a lot of looking at microfilm. <laughs> I started... Uh, at the San Francisco Public Library, uh, deciding that since San Francisco had five daily newspapers, uh, maybe there was some kind of reference in the newspapers about it. And uh, the place to start seemed to be September 1905. That was the estimated time frame of when uh, people had thought it had been made. Uh, Library Congress had had it on a website, and it had a very elaborate description of the film and and an estimate of when it was shot based upon the time on the ferry building clock, which you can read, and the uh, angle of the shadows on the ground with that time in mind. So that's where I started.
0: I guess the CIA and photo analysts are pretty good at that sort of thing, using using the the, the length of a shadow to tell you what, what time it is. But uh, I guess I guess you weren't convinced. They were they were saying late 05 or, or, or fall of '05, and, and you weren't convinced because uh, I guess from what it showed on 60 Minutes, you, you you noticed there was no rain in September, and yet clearly rain had recently fallen.
1: That's right. That was one of the first clues that led me in another direction. Uh, after after looking at all the newspapers and then studying the film some more and noticing uh clues like water on the ground and, and not just towards the end of uh the film which is obvious but in the in the better versions of it you can actually see glints of uh puddles near the uh rail tracks and reflection from the the sky and uh looking at the weather reports and noticing that there was no rain in August and September and even into October a little bit uh of 1905, I uh, thought about uh, other possibilities. And uh, that's when I realized that uh, there was another time of year where the angle of the sun and the time of day would uh, coincide with uh, what you saw in the film, and that would be the other side of June 21st. A reason why I wouldn't have picked March or April of 1905 was uh, in that description at the Library of Congress, the uh, buildings the state of the construction of the buildings on Market Street they determined that it couldn't have been much earlier than September of 1905 because of what buildings were there right. so so really there wasn't much choice other than to think uh, that it must be March or April 1906 it couldn't have been after that in 1906 because you could see the cable car tracks on Market Street and those uh didn't exist after the earthquake Right they were they were replaced by electric trolleys how
0: did How did your work come to the attention of the good people at sixty minutes?
1: Uh, it was thanks to YouTube and that uh, particular posting uh, one of the people on our board, uh, Rena Dine, had actually got it from uh, a friend uh, in january of, of uh, this year, and uh, she noticed that it had still been saying that uh, it was filmed in 1905 so she put a post on there that said that i'd uh, discovered that it was done by the miles brothers in 4 days before the earthquake in 1906 and uh after that i started getting phone calls and emails from people all over the country asking if uh, uh the informa- how i came up with the information and if it was true and uh and eventually one of those people was a producer at 60 Minutes.
0: And I guess when Morley Safer came out and talked to you, you were able to show him the uh, the actual document that really, really nailed the time frame.
1: That's right. There was uh, some advertisements in the New York Clipper, a theatrical trade magazine that all of the film companies used in that time frame, and uh, it spelled it right out in the advertisements uh, that the Miles brothers had done it, and uh, that the negative actually on its way back to their New York office the night before the earthquake Uh, and that's how it was saved.
0: Yeah because uh, you can see pictures of what it looked like after the quake and the fire and it looks I mean Market Street is and and everything on it looks just trashed.
1: The Miles Brothers had a film studio on Market Street at uh, 1139 Market that was near 8th Street which uh, probably not coincidentally the trip down Market Street Film starts, they would have just taken their camera equipment out of the studio, right onto the cable car, probably right in front of their studio and mounted it there. The studio survived the quake, but it was burned in the fire, Yeah, burned to the ground, and uh, everything that they'd been working with, other than whatever they had sent to their New York office, was gone.
0: Yeah, Chris. We've always heard in the, in the Bay Area that uh, you know it wasn't so much the quake but the fire that uh, did did all the damage. And I, that's that's always I was amused to learn much later in life that part of that was because <laughs> insurance didn't cover earthquake, but it did cover fire. So uh-huh. everything got blamed on the fire, whether it was no matter what the source of the the trauma was. But um, I, I guess that the, the the relatives or the descendants of of uh, the Miles brothers. Uh, were sort of shocked to learn that you'd, you'd put this together with, with their relatives' work.
1: Yeah. Um, i had actually, during my research, had uh, uh, tracked down relatives and uh, and met with them. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, there'd been some family stories about films, uh, but not that one in particular. Uh, everybody had seemed to have forgotten about who had done it. And, and so they were just as surprised as anybody that... Uh, uh, that information came to light.
0: Well, when you analyzed the film, I gather uh, rather carefully, it turned out that some of the guys driving these old, I guess, pre-model T's even, these 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 really early cars, were kind of weaving in and out of the film to make this, the street look even more, I guess, prosperous and, and busy than it was. Was someone trying to show San Francisco's really a happening kind of place back in 06?
1: Uh, it, it certainly could be. Uh, if you noticed uh, several of the cars drive by turn around ahead, come back up the street and go behind the cable car and come by again. I think there's one car that uh, does it six or seven times at least. <laughs> so there's there's probably only about 10 cars in the film, but it looks like there's a lot more. And uh, I was actually able to read the license plate numbers of several of the cars, and uh, after some more detective work, found uh, out that uh, uh, one of the cars was Uh, registered in January of 1906, and another one was registered in February of 1906. Cars had only been started being registered in California in 1905, so the the numbers were pretty low. (laughs) There was one that was even number six
0: (laughs) in that film. (laughs) Yeah, like having a Social Security number, like, 12. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's. Uh, I guess the fact that we now know that it, it was filmed so close to the the disaster of 1906 just makes it just, uh, it just intrigues people that much more.
1: Yes, it it certainly does lend uh, more weight to uh, what you're seeing on the screen. I think
0: I was delighted, David, to to see that as they closed the 60 minute segment that they went to uh, to Niles to the to the. Um, to the the S and A uh, Silent Film Museum, which uh, which is just which, which we've talked to you on this program previously about, and you're able to show him, uh, uh, you know, some of what's at the museum, which which I hope which I expect you to plug now because it's a really worthy cause, and I want I want our listeners to go travel down to Niles and take a look.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, the, the producer of sixty minutes, David Browning, came here several weeks before May, Morley Safer did, just to meet me and and to talk in person about. Uh, the film. Originally, the whole segment was going to be done in San Francisco on a uh, 1895 trolley car that is featured in the film. But when uh, David Browning came here to Niles, he was so intrigued by the town and the museum that he uh, he made a point of doing part of the interview here and uh, and putting it in the film as well. It's uh, we're. Uh, a unique uh, museum devoted to silent film in a theater that was built in 1913, the same year that the SNA Film Company built their studio down the street. So SNA fil- film people would come here to watch movies, and that included Bronco Billy Anderson, who was head of the company, and Charlie Chaplin, who made the films here in Niles. He was in this theater watching movies when he was
0: here. Which is just wonderful. We'd also want to refer our listeners back to our own archives, radioparallax.com, dot com, for our previous interview. We talked about uh, Charlie Chaplin and making movies in Niles.
1: He only made five films while he was here in Niles and spent less than three months here. But uh, it was an important time in his life, and you know he met his leading lady, who changed the direction of his filmmaking. Uh, when she entered films with him and Niles.
0: Edna Proviance, we should mention her name, because I'm, lo- I'm looking at your, uh, your uh, film and event schedule, and I guess last week you, you had even a, a tribute to, to Edna with uh, a woman in Paris, which Chaplin himself directed later on, a quite, a, quite a well-known film.
1: Yes, uh, we uh, celebrated her birthday. Uh, uh, we've been showing silent films with live piano music for more than five years now. Um, as far as I can tell, we're the only place that does it on a weekly basis basis around the year. We've shown over 1,000 films here in
0: that time. I, I want to add uh, Mr. Miller and I are going to be traveling down there again uh, at some of your events. I guess last year, came down to see a wonderful print they had of Wings, the first uh, Academy Award winner for Best Picture, William Wellman Jr., the director's son, was there. And it was just just a wonderful experience.
1: Yeah, it was really fun. Ben Burt, the Academy Award winner, was doing sound effects uh, live with it, and uh, it was a, a memorable experience here.
0: Well, any any upcoming events here you want to tell us about in November? I don't have the schedule for November, but I'm sure there's some good stuff that people may want to check out.
1: Uh, we're, I'm just working on that <laughs> schedule
0: now, okay. finishing it up. David, I'm looking at your uh, Saturday, October 30th. It looks like you've got a whole, a whole bunch of selections of, of, of stuff from uh, Felix the Cat cartoons and and uh, stuff from really the early days of films, turn of the century stuff.
1: We've been showing a lot of Felix cartoons, and we're next uh, um, time period, November and December, we're going to be showing a, a, several Coco the Clown out of the Inkwell cartoons, and that uh, leading into our feature films. Um, we even uh, are open on Christmas Day, uh, December 25th. We're going to be showing Ella Cinders with Colleen Moore. Um, we're going to be showing uh, one of uh, um, King Didor's, uh... important early films, Wild Oranges, in, in December, and uh, uh, a, a film directed by King Baggett, Human Hearts, in December as well. Um, Every month we have a comedy short subject night that's really uh, popular here. <laughs> Sometimes those shows sell sold sold, out, so uh, we encourage people to get tickets early for that monthly screening.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners will do that, and I certainly encourage them to do so. David, it's, 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 it's a pleasure to have you back. We'll have to have you come on again maybe next year when, in conjunction with some other special events if you have something like Wings planned again, because that, that was really something.
1: Okay.
0: Thanks. That does it for today's show. This program was produced by Edwin McMillan. Our thanks to David Keene, Dr. Jeff Shinoda, and our old pal Will Durst. We'll see you next week at the same time. You've been listening to Radio Parallax.